Welcome to another inspiring message from John Cameron, Senior Pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire and empower you. All right, if you have a Bible, could you join me this morning in Numbers chapter 13? Numbers chapter 13 and verse 17. When Moses sent them, that's the spies, to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What, are the, what kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees there or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. In brackets, it was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. They went up through the Negev and came to Hebron where Ahiman, Sheha, and Talmai, the descendants of Anak, lived. Hebron had been built seven years before Zon and Egypt. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them gathered it, carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. That place is called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. When they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave to Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. For the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Mozzibites, the Mosquito Bites, the Musli Bites, all live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live in the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread amongst the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. It's like summoning up giants from the past. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now over to Joshua chapter 2, one more verse, and it's verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. That's a dangerous word. <laughs> Moving right along. Go look over the whole land, he said. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Especially Jericho. I want to share with you this morning, simply around this thought, especially Jericho. You know, we're doing a series at the moment in the life of our church as we step into the next decade of Arise Church, simply themed around this book, Joshua. And the reason why is because we have named this year the first year of the second decade of Arise Church beginnings. We began 10 years ago with a dream to build a church of influence in a city, a city that had been called by many preachers, a preacher's graveyard. Now, we have built a church of some influence. We have a long, long way to go. 
But we begin this new decade not with a vision to build a church of influence in the city of Wellington, but to build a church of influence in the nation of New Zealand. We are crossing another Jordan. We are stepping out from where we have been before, and we are going into something new. The Jordan River represents in the Bible a thought that there are ceilings that are placed over our lives. There are, for every single one of us, a life that we have lived up until this moment that is strangely familiar, comfortable, our surroundings that we know. And there is also Jordan crossing moments where God calls His people to step beyond the comfort of their now into the future that He has for them. The reason why He calls us over the Jordan is that we might live a life that would bring Him influence and renown, that we might make Him famous in our generation, that the testimony of our lives would be where we are living is so amazing that the only way people could ever say they got there is because of the hand of the Lord upon our lives. It is to God's glory that His people advance. Can I get an amen? It is to God's glory that our lives increase, that we, we, we bear much fruit, Jesus said. And so He is calling us all the time to step over a new Jordan, to cross over into the promised land, into the place where God would have us live. To cross the Jordan will always require of us change. In my notes, I just simply put Jordan equals change. It means waking up one day in a place and realizing that you are not where you used to be. Whenever you've lived in a certain environment for a lengthy period of time, there is a comfort to the familiarity of knowing your present, of the fact that you don't need a GPS or a roadmap to get somewhere across town. You, you could just get there easy. When you've lived in a house, Julie and I, uh, in the first, I think, seven years we lived in Wellington, we lived in a total, including the, the journey that we had to come down here, we lived in a total of eight houses in seven years. And there's that awful moment if you have a jap, you know, if you have a weak bladder like I do, where you wake up in the middle of the night and you want to go to the bathroom. And in the middle of the night, you're trying to find your way to the, if you've lived in the house for a long time, how many people know you don't bump into the, there's no moment where the chest of drawers gets your knee, you know, it's just, it's easy. But when you're in a new house, anybody know that suddenly groping around the dark, it's taxing, it's, it takes a lot of you. You can be honest, you, you get up and go to the toilet too, don't be, don't be so Christian on me, but you know. But it's, it's when you're not in a place that you've been before, when everything is new, there, there is a toll that is placed upon you. Change requires a lot from us. And it's interesting to note what happens to people when they're confronted with the need for change. Because often when the need for change is presented to us, the enormity of it makes it seem somehow that is beyond us, that it is you know, somehow incomprehensible. And for most people, the challenge of advancing into something new ends up being something that we don't really ever do. Most people live their lives in the comfort of their now, despite the dysfunction of their now. This is not about just a better house or a better life or you know, somehow a better job. Or This is about the fact that many people will live in the same cycle of dysfunction that they grew up in, will live in the same environment, will replicate the same you know, abuses of yesterday rather than walking into something new that they know they want. And a home at peace is gonna bring glory to God. And a life that is healthy, that has made the changes and 
uh, someone who's dealt with their issues and walked into their new thing, and yes, somebody who does walk through into better employment, better lifestyle, making new choices, is going to live in a life that gives more glory to God. There's no doubt about that. But for many people, they live continually in the life that they've always had. And here we find one generation, one generation that reached the edge of stepping over into what God had for them and failed to do it, and another generation that crossed over into it. And so I wanna know what's the difference between the generation that didn't make it and the generation that did make it. Because I don't know about you, but in my life, I wanna cross the Jordan. Someone in Capity shout yes. I want to, uh, thank you, Mom. I want to, my mom, my mom and dad are here, by the way, which is nice. My mom makes up for about four other people on the front row. That's where I, where I get the preacher's voice from, and my son gets the preacher's voice from. But, you know, in our lives, God wants us to advance. He wants us to move forward. So here we've got one generation, and they are confronted with the opportunity to change. And we are confronted with the opportunity and the challenge of change. I mean, just some of the ways that we want to change. We want to change our world. Um, we want to own our own home. We want to enter our destiny. We want to pay our own bills. Uh, we want to create a family that is peaceful and united. For the parents in this room, we want children that love God. For the single people, we want a spouse that is going to love us, stay faithful. One that loves God is going to help us to advance into what we feel God's got for us. A few smiling faces, good to see. You know, we wanna break cycles of addiction in our lives, whether it's smoking, alcohol, dependence. We wanna lose weight, deal with obesity. We wanna improve the way that we eat. And no matter who we are, or how long we've been on this planet, for the 80-year-olds that are listening to me this morning and the eight-year-olds, at every stage and age of our lives, there are always new Jordan crossings that God would have us take because as long as we are on this planet, we are in preparation for eternity. And in eternity, God has a plan for you and I that we wouldn't sit on our blessed assurance and just, you know, eat grapes fed to us by cherubs. God has a plan for us that in eternity, we would rule and reign with Him. So as long as we are on this planet, He is going to be working in our lives to get us ready for the new thing that He has for us. And when God speaks to Joshua, He says, get ready to cross the Jordan River. Get ready to enter into the land that I have for you. And he's saying to Joshua, get ready for something that is going to be enormous. And when we shout and holler in church on Sunday and we say, get ready to cross the Jordan River, we're all fired up because we know in our hearts that there is more for us. The God of the universe breathes in our spirit. And like, yes, I can cross the Jordan. I can live different. But let's be honest, it's enormous. Moving beyond where we're at now and stepping into what God has for us is big. And the devil will always exploit the enormity of God's plan. He will. Fear lives in the big. We know that because in life, when we're in a small environment, we generally feel a lot more confident. When we walk into a bigger environment or a new environment, the new environment will always awaken within us feelings of fear and feelings of insecurity. How amazing are these spies that when they returned to Joshua, sorry, to, to, when they returned to Moses, 
these 12 spies in Numbers 13, they begin by saying, yeah, man, the land is great and the land is abundant. It flows with milk and honey. Here's its fruit. But, but, but by the way, there's some big cities there. There's some challenges. And then their grasp on reality just spirals down. The cities are fortified. Next thing you know, we've got the Nephilim living there, which is like an ancient word, like rustling up something from the past, you know, something foreboding. It's like saying the Loch Ness monster was there. You know, they're just awakening this thing and the land devours those who are living in it, like literally holes open up, people get swallowed. It's just fabricating lies. And then we really see what's going on in their own self-esteem when they say, we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And they, um, uh, sorry, in their eyes, and we appeared the same in our own. In other words, the way that we saw ourselves was very small in light of the enormity of what we were seeing. And this is always what the devil does. This is what the devil does to individuals. This is what the devil does to generations, is that he comes to us, he comes to us in moments when God is saying, it's time to go beyond where you're at right now. And the devil exploits the enormity of the plan of God. It's not that the plan of God is wrong. It's that every good thing God has for us, there is an opportunity for the devil to do something in the middle of it. He works in deception. Isn't it amazing that the third voice on earth was the devil's? First one was God's. Second one was Adam's. Third one was the devil's. And the fourth was Eve's. And the devil will always come in the middle of what God is doing and breathe a word right there where God is speaking. So these people are in the promised land. They've heard from God. They've heard from Moses. And then they hear from the devil. And the devil's saying, man, it's too big. It's too hard. The challenge is too enormous. You can't do it. Who do you think you are? This is just beyond you. And when Moses sent them in to this promised land, I, I really began to think about this in light of our series that we're looking at to, at the moment because I noticed the way that Moses sent them in. Look with me in verse 17. He said, go up through the Negev and go into the hill country. In verse 21 of Numbers 13, he said, so they went up and they explored the land from the desert of Zin, as far as Rehob, towards Lebo Hamath. They went through the Negev. They came to Hebron. They went all over the place. Verse 23, they reached the valley of Eshkol. You know, and then they went all the way through it. And then the Bible says they came all the way back. These men went uphill and down dale. They looked over the entire land. They explored through mountains. They went to far-reaching places. When it says Hebron, when you read the book of Joshua, one thing you realize is that it wasn't until Joshua was literally about to cark it that Caleb comes to him and says, look, we've been in this land for a long time and still I have not got my mountain. His mountain was Hebron. So in other words, they went and saw land so far away from where they were now that it was literally like gonna be 20 years before they ever conquered Hebron, which is part of what they surveyed. So they, they cross Jericho, they go into the mountains, they check out the valleys, they go to Hebron, the Valley of Eshkol, the Desert of Zin. I mean, they are gone all over the place. And then they return back to Moses, having seen so very much. Now, what about Moses' questions? Look at these questions. See what the land is look like, what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land is it? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they walled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? In other words, I've got no idea. 
I've got no idea. Go and check out everything. And then you 12 young guys who have lived the last 400 years of your family origin in slavery, go and check this thing out that is so big And out of the vastness of what you see, bring back to me a 20-point summary of all that you've seen of soil conditions, people conditions, weather conditions. Bring me back, you know, like an economic report. You know, come back to me with all of the stuff. And they're saying, are you joking, Moses? It was only six months prior that a slave driver had a whip across my back and all I could do was the labor of the day. Now, it's amazing to note the difference between what Moses says to the people and what Joshua says to the people because these men come back and they're like, we went through this valley and, you know, here is one of the cluster of grapes that we found in the valley. I mean, this valley, it's paradise. Here is a cluster of grapes. Now, what the, what the, what the Bible does is it actually mixes up two words. When it says the valley of Eshkol, the word Eshkol literally means clusters. So they come back and they say, here's one cluster. Literally in the Hebrew, here's one Eshkol. And we went through the valley of Eshkol. In other words, here's one cluster of grapes so big that two of us need a branch to carry it. And the valley we went through has got so many of them that it's just everywhere. This place is absolutely unbelievable. And my friends, the land on the other side of your Jordan is unbelievable. It is amazing. There is life beyond the life that we're living now. There are promises and opportunity and favor and blessing and so much more. We don't have to live the same way forever. We can push forward because Jesus is our God and He is the life. And He said, it is to my glory that you bear much fruit. Change the world, make a difference, deal with your diet, fix your family, live at peace, increase in every area. Yet they come back and they're like, oh my gosh, it is so different. But notice that there is a huge difference between the leadership of Moses and the leadership of Joshua. And this is my central thought of everything I want you to take from this 35 minutes this morning. And that is that Moses said, go and check out everything bring me back a detailed report, survey the whole land. There are no parameters. But Joshua led so differently when he said, go across the Jordan and check out especially Jericho. I mean, one guy says, check out it all, see it all, bring me back everything. And another guy says, especially Jericho. And my friends, in the difference between a life or a person, or what generation that can advance into the fullness of what God's got, and a generation that simply is overwhelmed and treads water in their now, is their response to the challenge, especially Jericho. Because the devil wants you and I to live in this massive, vague land, this huge kind of abundant thing where we're just trying to do it all and we want to know it all. We want to, we want to, we want to fix our finances. We want to pay every creditor in the next month. You know, we want, to, we want to fix our marriage. And so we've got 45 things we're trying to do this calendar year. We've got, 
We've got huge goals. And so we start all all those goals at exactly the same time. And Moses led the people to a point where they were overwhelmed by the enormity of their promised land and they faltered and they stopped. But Joshua says, don't check out at all. I don't need to know what's beyond Jericho. The first thing we've got to do is deal with this one city. It's the one we can see on the other side of the land. So let's not worry about the rest of it. Let's take it from the vague to the specific. Let's get specific, especially Jericho. You're catching it, aren't you? And guys, I truly believe that this is one of the greatest keys for you and I to step into what God has got for us is to make it something that we would just narrow down because we, the general will always overwhelm us, but the specific will always empower us. And in God's leading in our lives, it has been my experience that He is not the God of the vague and the general. He is in the arena of our dreams. But in the arena of His guidance, He is the God of the specific. And man, this message might be the number one thing that somebody who's taking the promise of being a Joshua generation seriously, this might be the one message you need to hear. Because we come to church on Vision Sunday and we're like, it's a year of new beginnings and God is amazing. And yes, we're gonna change the world. And then we're exactly the same as we were two months ago. And then we come to church and we're gonna cross the Jordan. And yes, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna break the cycle. I'm not gonna live in the same thing. I'm gonna step in the new thing. And then a month later, but we learn something so powerful when we understand that it's not just about the great dream that God has for us. It is about the specific direction God has for us. It is about a focus, especially Jericho. Go in this one direction and take this one thing. Go after this one challenge. Limit your focus. Go in the solid direction. <laughs> uh, a couple of months ago, before the water ban, of course, my, uh, my son was outside playing with the hose. And uh, he's loved water from the day he was just born, really, you know. He is a water child. In fact, he won his three swimming races at school this week, and I'm just so proud of him and just so stoked for him. And, uh, you know, we, he's got the hose, and he's, he's spraying everything, you know, as kids do. And, you know, he's, he's out there. He's having a fun time. And when he was three years old, then he went outside and he had the hose. Every parent in this room who's smart knows that the first thing you do when a three-year-old boy has a hose is you batten down the hatches. It doesn't matter how hot the day is, you close every window, you shut every door because kids love glass and hoses. But by the age of six, I kind of figure he's smart enough now to know that he cannot spray that hose in the house. So I said to him, son, you can play with the hose, but it does not come in the house. You can play with the hose, but it does not come in the house. He sprays the deck a little bit close. Son, I told you, do not spray the hose in the house. So then, of course, 10 minutes go by. His sister goes running across the deck, and so he's got to follow her with the hose. And he literally just poured a huge amount of water all over the wooden, you know, we've got a concrete-based floor, and then on top of it, we've got wood paneling uh, flooring. You know, what do they call it? Uh, part, you know, floating, I don't know what they call it, but, you know, we've got that flooring board stuff. Savan's nodding because he's a builder. But anyway, we've got, we got that bo- boards on the, on the ground. And so, you know, it's all over the place. And so I said to him, son, turn off the hose. So he turned off the hose. I said, come here. So he comes here, and I said, no, look, what's that? He says, it's water. <laughs> I said, that's exactly right, smart kid. And I told you not to get water in the house, didn't I? And he's like, yes. And there's huge amount of water. I mean, it's maybe three meters where there's water everywhere, you know? And uh, inwardly, I'm like, you know, a little bit ticked at the guy. But anyway, 
I'm looking, I'm saying, well, you know, son, if that water stays on these floorboards, you know what's going to happen is that the water is going to sink into the floorboards and the floorboards are all going to get filled up with water and they're going to pop up and the whole floor would be ruined. And that floor cost your mum and I thousands of dollars to put it in there. And, you know, this is what's going to happen is the repercussions of you getting water into the house. And I said to him, now, what are you going to do about that? And he's like, what am I going to do? Because the, the task was enormous. Now, I want him to understand the repercussions of his actions, but he's now stuck in the enormity of it. And so he said, he said, I could get a towel. And I said, that's right. You go get two towels, bring them back here, and then you and I are going to clean this up together. So he gets the towels, he comes back, and we cleaned it all up. But you know what? When he saw the situation, it was beyond him. But the moment he understood that the first thing he could do, when his mind switched, and this is how boys get self-esteem, by the way, is conquering obstacles, dealing with problems. Not just by saying, you're a great boy and I love you. He needs that, but he needs to understand if he's made a mistake, he can fix it. So then I obviously walked the problem through to the point where he solved it, but there is power in taking it from something that is so big, floorboards that will be ruined, three meters of water, a six-year-old with, you know, an ADD mind, you know what I'm saying? Not really, but I'm saying, you know, he's like, ah, you know, I have this, wow, that's going to take more than 30 seconds, you know what I'm saying? More than 10 seconds, <laughs> oh, you know, look at me, oh, you know, and, and then suddenly knowing that it was just one step, get a towel, do something, and a father watching over. See, the moment he switched from the general to the specific, his father could help him with the rest. And the thing about our lives is that the moment we go from just, ah, it's all so big, and I could never do it, and we go, hang on a minute, especially Jericho. Let's lock it down. I can't fix it all. I can't conquer it all. But when I deal with the specific, it releases God in the general. It's about making the one step that releases God to move in the next step. And this is the thing about our lives. When we focus with the specific, God can deal with the general. I always say to people, you know, a guy came up to me once after church one Sunday morning, goes, oh, Pastor John, you know, Sunday night, I think, one of those nights where God just turned up like it's going to be tonight. And he comes up to me at the end of the service, like, oh, Pastor John, you know, I want to preach like you preach. I want to, I want to do what you do. How, how can I do it? And I look at him and he's like, you know, he's like, you know, all disheveled and, you know, it's all crazy and, you know, his ears all mucked up. And he's like, you know, how can, how can I be a man of God? like you are. And he's looking at me like somehow I'm going to drop this thing in his head. And I said to him, I said, well, you know where you could start? He's like, yeah. I said, well, you could tidy your room. He's like, what? Because we want to start with the big, but here's the deal. People who start with the big never step into the big. But people who say, especially Jericho. I mean, man, you know, it's like, you don't like the car you've got now, well, clean it. Why would God give you a better car if you don't clean the one you've already got? There are literally wives all over this auditorium making eyes at their husband out of the corner of their eye. I can see it everywhere. Wow, faith without hints is dead, you know. Literally like, there are men with sore kidneys all over this arena, and I promise you they're in Capity as well. But God says, hey, don't make it just the big dream. Make it the specific step. Victory comes to the specific. The key to success is be specific. Many people never move beyond where they are now because they fail to be specific. 
Let me give you five things. Number one, God is found in the specific, especially Jericho. How's that amazing story where Mary and Martha, two sisters, are sitting at the feet of Jesus, and the Bible says that Mary becomes distracted by much serving. It literally says in, in Luke chapter 10, 41, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, Jesus, you are worried and upset about many things, but few are needed, or indeed only one, especially Jericho. Mary has chosen what is better, the one thing, and that one thing will never be taken away from her. And man, I'm here to tell you that you can get lost. There are people hearing me preach this morning facing some challenge so enormous, and in the middle of the enormity of it all, it consumes our minds, our thoughts, our every waking moment, our dreams. We, we, we can't get it out of our heads. And we're like Martha. We're like, ah, active, doing, reacting, plotting, scheming, and not got God anywhere near our lives. Like we couldn't hear God if He got a megaphone and screamed at us in the car park. God, we're like, who, what, what, God? And Martha, the Bible says, is distracted. But Mary just sits there and goes, there are many tasks but I need this one voice. And it's been my experience that God is found in the specific. See, the, the spies go in, and when they're given a general command, they come back and say, ah. but the two spies are sent, especially Jericho. There they enter a home by the name of Rahab. We heard a sermon on that at Passionate Conference. I've got another one coming for you on Rahab, but this amazing woman who chooses to align herself with God's people rather than her own nation. What an amazing woman says to them, you know, for 40 years, our hearts have been gone because of you guys and what God's done for you. And they're like, oh my gosh, God is with us. We can do it. And their expectations came alive. They found faith when they were hiding in the ceiling of Rahab's home, came back, gave a good report. The walls of Jericho came down and the rest is history. But where it all began was they found God in his, their response to His specific commandment. Anything that we're trying to enter into in life seems too big until we get it down to the point where it becomes especially Jericho. I mean, um, I have on my screensaver on my iPad and on my iPhone two verses of Scripture. They will be there for the entire calendar year. Does that mean that I'm not reading new Scriptures? Absolutely not. But if I'm going to change me, then I have to make it from a new promise and a new word and a new thing and a new desire every month and every week and every second to just especially Jericho. A whole year, two verses, one thing, change me, make me better, especially Jericho. And God is found in the specific. Bill Hybels wrote a book many years ago called Too Busy Not to Pray. And you know what I found is that the busier I get, the more important the time is that I spend with God because God is found in the specific. And sometimes in the enormity of what I'm trying to deal with, that moment with God is all I needed to get me past what I'm dealing with right now. Let me get to the next one. Faith attaches to the specific. Faith attaches to the specific. Not only is God found in the specific, but faith attaches to it. Let me tell you what I mean by this. Faith somehow it doesn't attach to the general or to the vague. Hope might, dreams might, but faith, something about faith connects or attaches to a specific, something that you're going after. Matthew 8, 
18, 19. If any two or three of you agree concerning anything, it shall be done for you by my Father in heaven. Get specific. Narrow the focus down. Know what you're going after rather than just getting lost in the bigness of the general. Narrow it down. In our lives, if we want to get something from heaven and bring it into our world, then let's make it, let's name it, let's declare it, let's have one thing, a specific focus, let's go after it. There needs to be a touch point. Oh man, I don't have time to go into it, but Gideon is called out of the winepress by God to defeat the most powerful army of his generation, the army of Midian. Yet the first thing God told him to do was not to go after Midian, but to go after the altar to Baal, a pagan God that was in his own hometown. And the thing is, the one step in the specific unlocked the ability for him to then be used by God in the general, he would never have gone down to 300 warriors to defeat the army of Midian if he hadn't have listened to the specific guidance of God to just take down the altar to Baal. Some people in this room are looking for the birthplace of faith in their lives. Well, how about we go back to the last time God's told us to do something very small and we obey that one thing and watch what faith attaches to when we deal with the small, it might just release the big. Yeah, come on. Number three, fear is conquered by the specific. Fear reigns in the largeness of our promised land. It does. Fear reigns in the enormity of the big. And so we have to bring it right back to the specific. When Peter was in that boat in the middle of the night and Jesus was walking on the water and the, the boat was in the middle of a storm, he, he saw Jesus and Jesus said, come. And he stepped out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. Then the Bible says that he saw the wind and the waves. And when he saw the wind and the waves, the enormity of the big, that the big, sorry, the enormity of the general, that he began to sink. But when he had his eyes fixed on Jesus and listened to the one word, then his fear was dealt with in the specific. And Jesus said, why did you doubt? And in our lives, our fears can be conquered when we choose not to look at the size of the wind and the size of the waves. And instead, we focus our gaze upon Jesus. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes upon Jesus. Not just the author, but the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. He's won every victory, bigger than every challenge, has overcome every obstacle, healed every sickness, cured every disease, broken every generational bondage, set our lives free, and has already got all the victory we need. So let's not worry about the size of the wind or the size of the waves or the enormity of our promised land challenges. Let's just focus on the specific thing He's told us to do. Come to me, especially Jericho. Get on the water. Take a step forward. Come on, somebody give Jesus praise this morning. He's gonna help us, especially Jericho. Number four, God leads in the specific. This, man, I think this might be, let's have the band come and join me. But this, this is really where the rubber hits the road on the sermon. As I truly believe, that whilst God awakens within us a dream that is big, His guidance is always specific. I love that encounter with Jesus and the 12 disciples where He asked them to feed 5,000 people. The dream was big. 
What's their response? Are you joking? A year's wages would give everybody a McNugget. You know, they'd get a McNugget and three French fries for a year's wages. And you want us to feed them all? And Jesus says, all right, it is beyond you. Got that clear? Okay, well, watch what is going to happen now. Here's a loaf of bread. Here, you get that bit of the loaf. Now, that section, go and give it to them. And they're breaking pieces off, and it just keeps going. And obedience in the specific unlocked the miracle of God. See, don't worry about the resources. This will stop us from stepping into the promises. Thinking about whether, now there's wisdom and, you know, see whether you can build the tower. I get all of that. Count the cost of everything. It's not about just ridiculous business enterprises that you're not, you haven't got the balance sheet for. This is about living in obedience to God. It's about saying, man, I've got to take a step. I've just got to, I've just got to choose because God leads specific. I was sharing a story at Passionate that I don't think I've ever shared before. And, and I remembered it and I put it into the sermon that when Jilly and I in 1998, we got invited to go to an invitation only gathering of key youth pastors from around the world in Europe. And so we went over to Europe. We're part of this whole deal. It was an amazing thing. And then we came back. But when we got back, we were broke. Because we'd just been to Europe. We were, we were youth pastors, which is like code for barely surviving, you know. And, and uh, so we came back and, you know, we got nothing. And we literally had just over $1,000 in the bank. We went to this youth camp. And in the middle of this youth camp, they took an offering. And Jillian and I just really felt God saying, you need to give $1,000 in this offering. And we're like, but Lord, we've got to eat. And we've got to fuel our car. And we've got to survive this month. And, we, you know, we've got to do this stuff. And, you know, it was just big. It was big. And here God's saying, $1,000, give it in this offering. So God leads specific. His promise is always the big, but His guidance is always specific. So I said, all right, we're going to give the $1,000. So we gave the $1,000 in the offering, and Jillian's never the one to hold us back. She's the scary one who's like, we should get more. And uh, so anyway, we gave the $1,000. The next morning, I turn up at this camp for breakfast, and this guy says, John, I need to talk to you before you grab your cereal. So I said, all right. So I come around the corner with him, and he, says, he goes, here, I need to give you this. And he gives me this check. And he says, for the last three weeks, I've had this check and I knew I was supposed to give it to you. But it wasn't until last night that I got the courage to do what I needed to do. And the check was for $9,000. And my experience has been God leads specific. Yeah, come on, give God some praise. My closing point for you this morning is simply this, that entering your promised land is specific. A general focus leads to procrastination and to being overwhelmed. But when we attach ourselves to the specific, it will take us into our promised land. Check out Joshua chapter two, verse nine. It says that Rahab the harlot went up on the roof and she said to the two spies, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. 
when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When, when we heard of that, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage, when we heard of it, our hearts and everyone's courage melted because of you. For the, your, the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Let me ask you a question. When did God dry up the waters of the Red Sea? And the answer is 40 years prior to that conversation. And for 40 long years, their destiny had been open for them to step into. Their promised land was available for them to press forward into. But the general and the vague and the hugeness and its, its insurmountable obstacles stopped them from pressing forward. But the moment they discovered, especially Jericho, they accelerated forward into what God had for them. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and John Cameron, go to arise.org.nz or follow them on Twitter at John Allen Cameron and at Arise Church.